Bear, bear, bear. Gently bear, bear, bear. Thanks for listening to Grand Craft Beer, Ben's premier beer podcast, exploring everything beer in Central Oregon, with your host, who's a Cicerone and the author of Oregon Breweries, Brian Yeager. Hello and welcome to Grand Craft Beer. I am your host, Brian Yeager, and today with me is Joshua Savage, who happens to be a fellow freelancer, uh, contributor to Bend Source Weekly, and he reached out to me recently after hearing uh, an episode of the podcast where we had the folks from Three Creeks out and in a discussion about locally grown hops, specifically ones grown from Tumalo hops. So uh, thanks for being on the show, Josh. Uh, introduce yourself to everyone. Of course. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you mentioned that you know I'm a freelancer for The Source. I've been in Bend for about six years now. Uh, do a lot of writing. Not just for the stores, but for other magazines. I do a lot of beer drinking, so of course I reached, right on. You know, had to reach out. Uh, I teach, teach Spanish and writing. Qué bueno. Qué bueno. <laughs> español? Un poco. Un poco. Bastante bien. Pero uh, puedo decir cerveza. Sí, me gusta cerveza <laughs> muchísimo. Excellent. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that again you 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 get in touch with me because uh you heard our discussion about growing hops in Tumalo. so you are also a home brewer yes i do homebrew i've got right now i've got mead which is almost ready right on and so, mead just in case you guys are unfamiliar mead is basically fermented honey it's a, it's some people call it the world's oldest beverage yeah. uh because they would have figured out how to ferment honey long before putting grains and other spices and herbs together to, to make beer. And it's a lot easier than brewing beer. I've noticed uh, this is probably my third batch maybe, and this one's been sitting for eight, nine months. So I think it's about ready. I'm going to open it on my birthday next month. Hey, Josh, have you had anything from Central Oregon's newest and only meadery, Lazy Z Ranch, out in Sisters. I have not. I've you got to go. I wrote about him. Uh, John is, uh, it's a family that moved out to the ranch. Huh. And he has something like 40 or 50, at least 40 hives. And is making really fantastic meat out there. I'll be out there next week. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so one of the things that, uh, not one of the things, the main thing that we're going to do, do today is tackle some seasonal beer styles i mean maybe secretly you and i know that it's very hot out today but this is going to air in a week so let's pretend like we're already down into the 40s uh like by the time this is going to be it probably will be exactly which i love i read uh, a story that you had written in the source about basically discovering fall colors and really get diving into i mean this is only a a a month ago or i want to say it couldn't have been that long ago it was pretty recent. Yeah. In the Ben Nest, yeah. Oh, in the Ben Nest, excellent. So the parenting uh, right. offshoot or, or sister publication. Right, I do a lot of outdoor sections for them. Excellent. Well, I love that because drinking seasonally uh, gives us an opportunity to really usher in a whole new set of styles, new set of flavors. Uh, but while I have aligned uh, lined up several different samples. We are going to start with that uh, uh, Three Creeks Cone Liquor Fresh Hop IPA. I'm going to pour some in your glass for you. Thank you, sir. 
All right. It sounds so nice when you pop it open in front of the microphone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, luckily, we have a, a few more beers that we could pop even more. Let's. That's how you know we're really tackling these. Cheers. Prost. Prost, yes. Um, you know, again, thinking about seasonal beverages, fall is such a rad season for beer drinking because, you know, summer, you're generally looking for really light beers, light in color, light in body, light in flavor for floating down the Deschutes all day long. Obviously, every season is IPA season, right. uh, especially in the Pack Northwest. But Fresh Hops uh, is a season that we have all to ourselves. You know, these hops don't grow everywhere. And they grow abundantly here in the PNW. So our breweries really have a unique opportunity to pick up these hops fresh off the vine, off the vine, as it were. Uh, you have to get them immediately to the brew house, into the boil. Otherwise, they'll start to decay. And, uh, you know, they're, they're very volatile. So they'll start to go downhill rapidly. Uh, so cheers. Cheers. I love it. What I love about Fresh Hop IPAs compared to regular is it's sort of a grab bag. You don't know exactly what you're going to get because it's not a commoditized version of hops. It's truly agricultural. It's right. truly fresh. This beer happened to have won a gold medal in the Fresh Hop category from the Great American Beer Festival a few years ago. Uh, I know that it is mainly built on the back of Centennial Hops grown from... Uh, the BC Hop Ranch over in the valley in in Woodburn, Oregon. That's tasty, right? My wife and I we went to Oktoberfest up in Leavenworth a mm. couple, couple weekends ago. The pseudo Bavarian town in, right. in central Washington. But on the way, we stopped in Yakima. Perfect. Uh, Bell breaking is it? Bell Bell breaker. Yes. Bell breaker, and they had what they call the Imagination Board, mm-hmm. and they had at least three or four fresh hop beers, and right outside are the fields. Right in front of their brewery. That's what makes bail. If you're ever going to Yakima, folks, Bail Breaker is easily the one must-hit brewery because, as Josh is saying, it's in the middle of those hop fields. Uh, They grow them, they sell them, and then they brew with them. Yeah, it was worth the stop for sure. Do you remember which particular fresh hop beers you had? Maybe any new varietals that weren't on your radar that you that you wish would be on people's radars? Well, there were three. There were three IPAs, and I want to say the other one was maybe a Pilsner. Uh, I can't remember the names of them. One of them happened to be named Dave and so and so, but I can't remember the name. Sure. Yeah, but they were all delicious. If we hadn't have been driving to Leavenworth, we probably would have stayed for more. But we yeah. Just, yeah. Well, that's the other good thing about Yakima. And again, when I mentioned Pacific Northwest as being the hop growing region, that's something on the order of 85% right there in Yakima Valley. Uh our you know, Oregon's Willamette Valley gets something like ten to twelve percent of the hops and then, you know, Idaho and scattered hop fields yeah. here and there account for, for the rest. And you can I mean you can even smell them at a certain time of year. Exactly. I mean that's what I love. Ordinarily if I'm conducting a tasting flight, you don't usually start with the hoppiest beer, which this is the hoppiest one in our lineup. At the same time, every second that goes by, there's a tiny bit of degradation. So might as well, you know, enjoy them. Uh, certainly if you're going out into the the grocery stores and the bottle shops and the tap houses, you're going to see a lot of fresh hop 
uh, ales on mostly in the IPA pale ale range, not exclusively. Who do you think, uh, at least around here, has the most fresh hot beers right now? I would imagine it's Deschutes. Deschutes. They're the biggest. They have access to the most, uh, you know, hops. Uh, but everyone has them. I mean, right. Deschutes has several. Worthy has several. Crux. Um, and I think nearly every Central Oregon brewery at this <laughs> point knows that they, I don't want to say that they're obligated, but that they get to. And, yeah. and they like doing it. I've, I've yet to meet the brewer who, even though they're a nightmare logistically, I haven't yet to meet a brewer who, who doesn't enjoy making them and, and of yeah, course, drinking them. I bet. Good stuff. All right. So moving on, speaking of this slim window, uh, in going out and looking for beers, I obviously wanted to get ones from Central Oregon Breweries. This particular uh, beer that we're about to crack, it I bought it at McMiniman's Old St. Francis. It was not uh, brewed or canned there, but you cannot have a discussion about fall seasonals in the month of October and not have an Oktoberfest, even though historically they should be consumed in September. <laughs> so technically, right? Yeah. I'm going to pour you a little bit of this. This is, uh, again, this is, uh, McMiniman's Oktoberfest lager. Um, there's never a bad season for drinking lagers. I think people tend to associate them with the really light ones and mm -hmm. it's a summer beer, but, what I like about Oktoberfest is, in addition to being built on Pilsner malt, it obviously has a pretty heavy dose of Munich malt. So it gets a little bit of the darker color, right? Again, we're talking about seasonal differences and the changing colors of the leaves. And so fall is truly the best time for drinking beers of different colors. And so we'll start on this light end. Sort of a burnt orange, maybe? Uh, yeah. Uh, what 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 color? You know, men don't have a lot of colors in our amber. Maybe amber, sure. <laughs> it's an amber lager. Uh, and one of the things that I love about these is when you talk about malts. Obviously, different malts don't simply lend different colors to the beer, but different flavors. The more you kiln them or toast them, the darker they're going to get. But it brings out basically more flavor. Uh, they they chalk it up to to the Maillard reaction, but uh, it's sort of like if you put a piece of toast in the toaster oven. If you take it out after five seconds, it'll be warm, but it will essentially be a piece of bread. Not ready. Right, not ready. So as soon as you you get them in, you know, for thirty forty five seconds, that's where you start to develop this color and flavor that sort of has a a lightly toasted bready flavor uh, to a beer like this. And it reminds me, you know, when I taste a beer like this, it takes me back to Germany. Right? Absolutely. Have you been to uh, Oktoberfest in Munich? I have not been to Oktoberfest over there, but when I really started drinking good beers mm -hmm. was my first visit over there. You know, before that it was, you know, Budweiser and that kind of stuff. <laughs> Coors, Natty Light. Certainly, maybe not so much anymore, but I think in the original days where craft beer or, and even microbrews, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you and I are of an age where we remember calling these things mi microbrews. Uh, a lot of the ways that Americans did fall in love with different beers and beer styles is by going to the source, by traveling through Europe, for example. Because, again, if you were living in America, if you were drinking beer here back in the... 
70s and 80s, you know, we did not have a lot of access to interesting beers. The craft beer revolution, the microbrew revolution was barely just beginning. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if you wanted to discover good beers like this, you were probably going to do it in places like England and Germany. True. Uh, not you know. in the States, though, especially not in the South. <laughs> mm. And where did you grow up? Uh, the Memphis area. Excellent. And even to this day, I mean, we do have some good breweries. But sure, everywhere has good breweries now. But they're limited. There's maybe, I can count on maybe one hand how many breweries are actually in the in a city that big. You know, so. Right. I mean, it's growing. It's growing. Excellent. I know the Craft Brewers Conference was in Nashville oh, really? earlier this year. So clearly hmm. they said Tennessee as a whole has a a spotlight that deserves to be shown, shined. Yeah, yeah. On it. <laughs> I mean, that's good because believe it or not, a lot of the states, because when I say I'm from Memphis, I'm actually from the southern you know, part of, or the northern part of Mississippi, and there are still dry counties. Oh, yeah. Blue counties, it's, dry it's, counties. Yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> it is. I remember, speaking of Tennessee, uh, my first time there and driving through Lynchburg, home of the Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey Distillery. Right. And that is also a dry county. Isn't that ironic? Right. <laughs> they brew, they brew, they they just, they brew and then distill every drop of that famous Jack Daniels whiskey, and, and you cannot buy it right. or, or legally drink it there. That's, that's nuts. Which is not to say no one drinks it there, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of times you get the real, the fire moonshine and stuff, you know, but, but usually you go right across to the next county. You know, there's right at the line, there's usually like a small convenience store or pop and mom shop that'll, you know, sell you whatever. Because you're from there, let me ask you, this is sort of the, the version of the story I heard. Any one of the, the citizenries of those counties can overturn that, but they feel like, oh, you know, optics matter and visuals matter. So they pretend like, no, no, we're in the Bible Belt. We don't want alcohol here. It's true. And they'd rather just drive 100 miles out of their way to keep up this facade. Prep, this facade of... <laughs> They're your teetotalers, and they don't want any alcohol, so they all go drive to the next wet county. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's very true. that You just think, uh, I guess a lot of people, maybe the unemployment's higher and stuff like that, and they think it might bring, you know, maybe more drugs, maybe beer is the gateway or liquor's <laughs> the gateway drug in that case. But, and like you said, it's the Bible Belt. It has a lot to do with it, too. So, yeah. Appearances matter. They do. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, by the way, the, the last thing I want to really get to Oktoberfest, which I think is an interesting historical note about this beer style, um, is, you know, it, it comes out in September, Oktoberfest, which is the world's biggest party, uh, allegedly some 6 million people, uh, who don't already live in Munich descend on the fairly small Bavarian town of Munich. Huh. Much smaller than, you know, your your Berlins and, and other yeah. larger metro areas. And it's very quaint and it's very historic. Um, but that the beer and therefore the celebration itself stems from uh, a royal wedding uh, back in the year, I want to say, 1810. And if you're getting married in September in Germany, especially if you're a royal family, there's no way in the world you're going to do it without a ton of beer. But... Because it's hot all summer in Germany, 
they especially at that time think about the early 19th century they didn't have a lot of things one of which was electric refrigeration artificial refrigeration so they were only able to brew beer in the winter and through the early spring and they would put these barrels filled with the beer and they would put them in a literal cave maybe one that they discovered maybe the one they dug out and they would go down to the river and they would harvest huge sheets, huge blocks of ice, carry those into the cave specifically to keep it cool and to keep the beer from spoiling over the summer. Huh. And so the last batch of beer that they were legally allowed to brew would have been the, in the month of March. The word for March in German is Merzen. So it's a Merzen lager and Merzens are Oktoberfest. So you drink March beers in September, named after October. <laughs> I just think it's such a crazy story, but that really is it. They couldn't have a wedding, couldn't have a party without beer. Exactly. So they hauled out all the barrels stored in the ice caves. Wow. And drinking March Mar- <laughs> beer from the prior March. Seems like a lot of work back then, right? Yeah, but, you know, it's not like it's uh, worth it. Prince Ludwig wasn't oh, the one. No, no, he no. wasn't like carrying and rolling out these barrels himself he had he had plenty of plenty of help serve plenty servants yeah <laughs> well i'm looking around um at these other beers that we're going to get to and as i mentioned right fall colors fall leaves fall weather so therefore <laughs> let's crack open this brown ale i love brown ales i call it my third favorite style I'm not the mainstream when it comes to beer styles and and things like that and brands. But I think if you talk to certainly people who, again, not to reference that we are getting longer in the tooth than than in our early beer drinking days. (laughs) But right, Josh, you remember when as you're exploring the microbrew realm, the craft beer world on shelves and on taps, Remember, you used to find brown ales everywhere. I did. I think, uh, what was the first one? Yeah, I would love to know if you if you have a memory of your first brown ale. I'm trying to think. I mean, it's pretty well known. Oh, is it Pete's Wicked? No, it's not Pete's Wicked. Okay, because that was it for a lot of people. But it was a pretty well-known brown ale that I did drink for quite a while. And was it American or was it English? Do you remember? I think it was American. All right. I if can't you name think a few, of... I bet you I could... Well, that's the thing. It's it's hard to really remember. No, other than Pete's Wicked, I can't think of a big brown ale that was available in the United States. Um, people really associate it with pub styles of beer. And in England, uh, which is where, you know, the pale ale was invented, all beers before that. Because, again, as I mentioned with regards to refrigeration, if they didn't have electricity... For kilning malts, they also didn't, and, and and sorry, they didn't have electricity for refrigerating beer. They also didn't have it for kilning malts, uh, and yeah, they couldn't do a light-colored toasting. Hmm. So they were kind of using haphazard dried malts, and they would have been maybe smoked. They would have been cooked. They would have been something over, you know, a a, a more intense heat source for a longer period of time, and they would have gotten darker. Yeah. Uh, so brown ales really, you know, most beers were brown. It wasn't until the Burton-upon-Trent Pale Ale Revolution, as which kind of coincided with Czech Pilsner 
And that discovery of Pilsner Malt and being able to make those light-colored beers, but that really was also a 19th century invention, despite beers thousand to, you know, thousand-year history in modern uh, civilization, but it really 10,000-year history over the course of mankind. <laughs> so you said this was your third. So what are your first two? I know IPAs. Fair enough. Well, yeah, so specifically Fresh Hop IPAs because okay. I love the mystery and the, the pageantry, right. but also the there's just something extra to them. Um, but I happen to really like rice lagers. Huh. Uh, I find that to be the most crushable style. I'm not so, sure. I'm not you know, sure Japanese can... lagers, everything oh. from uh, Asahi okay. through, you know, like Crux does Bochi Bochi. And, uh, Those are uh, really light? Very light. Yeah. Because when you're adding rice, Makes sense. which is not malted barley, you get a fermentable sugar source, but you don't contribute anything to the color mm. and very little to the flavor. It's just, again, it's providing alcohol and therefore it dries out and sort of thins out the body. So it's, I like it because I could drink so much of it. It's not sweet. <laughs> uh, it's very light on the malt character, whereas compare that to a beer like a brown ale. Yeah. Um, maybe I can't have three or four of these, but when I, like even this one, and again, this is from uh, uh, Falling Sky Brewing in Eugene. Uh, the name of this beer that we're getting to is Upside Down Brown. It's not that there are no brown ales brewed in Bend. In fact, if I may toot my own horn for one quick second. Uh, I am a member of the North American Guild of Beer Writers. It's a thing. <laughs> <coughs> and every year after the Great American Beer Festival, the NAGBW holds its own award ceremony where they dole out awards for different categories of beer writing. Uh, historical, beer styles, modern, uh, business writing, technical writing. So in the category of beer reviews, uh, I came in third place for a story I'd written a year ago on brown ales in the source. Huh. Uh, and that's when I had found Crux and Boneyard and a couple other breweries had a brown ale, but the only packaged version I could find, the only canned one I could find, uh, literally from any American brewery uh, is is this Falling Sky. I know Block 15 out of Corvallis has a phenomenal brown ale. Uh, other people brew them, but they're just harder to come across. But please go out and, and, and either get your first one or your most recent one because I would hate to see this style disappear. Yeah, I mean, this one is tasty. This is one that you can... Uh pretty much have for dinner you don't need to eat and just exactly sit around the house and enjoy a cold evening a lot of people have this sort of misconception that dark beers are sweet uh and that's probably because you have a lot of pastry stouts uh and maybe you know we'll, we'll, we'll let's get you back on on the uh, <laughs> podcast in three months and we'll do a winter tasting okay but for this autumn one it's you know there's some hints of baker's chocolate, some yeah. very light blonde roasted coffee. But essentially, this is more in the uh, toasty grilled vein. I, this is such a great pairing with grilled meats, stews, chili, things that you're starting to bring back uh, for the season now that the, the temperature is finally beginning to drop. I actually, I'll drink those rice lagers all summer. I don't like anything over 70 degrees. I'm happy for fall, and I believe I also saw 
Did you call this your favorite season? It is. It depends on where I am in the country. Top four? Oh, definitely. There we go. (laughs) Second, if not first sometimes. Maybe first in Bend. (laughs) Sure. Excellent. Well, so the other thing uh, to mention about, especially about this brown ale, and again, uh, I want to pick up this can. I know I had read it. uh, When so many beers today, they're really going for hop delivery, like with the Fresh Hop IPA, of course. But when you start to get into darker ales and lagers and you start introducing specialty malts brown ales will have such a range they'll have they'll have you know maybe a a heavy base of pilsner or pale malt but then they bring in some chocolate malt some carafa some munich malt just a range of colors that the blend i mean just like if you're having as i mentioned chili or sues right it's all about getting all those different things to come together, and that's why it's better the next day. Beer is sort of like really, really, really ridiculously thin, meatless <laughs> stew. You put it on all the ingredients, you boil them together, then you cool it down, and it's like leftovers. I mean, I think about that sometimes when I'm stirring my my mixture, mm-hmm. I'm stirring all my grains and everything in, or stirring my whatever fruit I'm using for my meat or my wine and stuff. That's exactly what I think. I'm brewing. I'm brewing a stew or a... (laughs) Well, I love it. Well, here's what we're going to do. Because here we are in late October, um, as I begin to prep our fourth beer, which you can't have a seasonal discussion of beers in October and not have a pumpkin beer. You can, but why would you? Uh, And I just read a great article on Jeff Allworth's Beervana blog about how pumpkin ales are having a mini resurgence. I think they blew up on the scene and then everyone basically said, oh, I don't like them. Kind of like you have to slam pumpkin spice lattes and things like that. too popular, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Too popular, maybe a little too silly. You have to be a rebel. So we have to knock them down a peg. Uh, but I'm very happy to say I've not had this one, but this is um, Boogie Gourd by Boss Rambler here in Bend. And as I'm cracking this, I'm going to tell one of my very favorite beer stories. Uh, you're going to get a little history lesson. <laughs> you know, here Josh is talking about mixing fruits and, and things when he's making meads and, and you would do the same thing for beer. Picture this. Long before... Anheuser-Busch, long before these big, huge industrial breweries. Uh, Brewing was a very small operation. It would have been done, you know, uh, people famously think about monks in in these these abbeys in the French or Belgian or English countrysides. But really, even before that, it would have been a woman who, just like she might have been cooking food, she was also brewing the beer. And if she was enterprising, instead of only making it for her household, she would have gone out into the marketplace to sell this beer. Because who's going to make a small batch? You're going to make, you know, the more you make, uh, the more economical it gets. Makes sense. So you have this, just picture this one woman, and she lives in her medieval town, in her little village somewhere on the Isle of Great Britain, let's say. Uh, England. I know Great Britain is several islands. <laughs> yeah. 
And so she's got this big, huge kettle to make the beer in. It's sitting there over a big open fire. And she's got all these grains uh, that she would need to be the base, you know, the sugar source. And so to keep the grains protected from, say, pests, rats and mice, maybe she'd get a cat Mm. to protect the grains. So here's this woman. She's got this big cauldron boiling. She's got this cat. Could be any color. Maybe it's black. Uh, She's mixing it up, right? She's got this mash going, and she's stirring it. And then when she's done, she's going to hang that stirring device, a.k.a. a mash paddle, which looks very similar to a broom. She's going (laughs) to hang it on the outside of her, her hut, her home, to let everyone know I'm the person who makes the beer. So she's got this broom hanging over her front doorstep, and now it's time to go sell this beer, this ale, She's going to go out into the marketplace, but maybe she's not super tall. Maybe she doesn't stand out in the crowd. So she's going to wear something to identify herself. She gets this big, huge, pointy hat. So anywhere (laughs) in the crowd, you could see her. So all these things, this woman, she's got this double-double boil and bubble thing going. She's got the cat. She's got the broom. And then the menfolk, the patriarchy, were like, you know what? She's making a pretty good amount of money. Why don't we destroy her? Why don't we run her out of the marketplace and take over the industry for ourselves? So they turned her into a witch. Huh. I mean, that is absolutely the history of witches. They were just Brewsters. So they were making this is, making, a, this this is, is a true story. story. Wow. This is the historical basis for witches. And it's perfect for this time of year. You're telling it. Right. <laughs> there we go. So true fun fact, that is how uh, the patriarchy demonized, bewitched these women. into Because, they again, this is long before Louis Pasteur. They don't understand yeast. They don't understand fermentation. Right. They, they know what happens, but it's magic and to she's them. she's casting some kind of some spell or something. And it, she's got yeah. gale and bog myrtle and all these things. Right, you know, right. eye of newt, lizard tongues. Like, they don't know what she's putting in there. <laughs> So they literally demonize her. She they, knows people act funny after they drink her potion. Exactly. So I thought that would be a fun backstory for Halloween. Yeah, I enjoyed that. As we get into a pumpkin beer from Boss Rambler. And the whole time I had this uh, woman in mind, too. I could picture I could picture the whole story in my head. Yeah. She, the OG Brewster right there. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Cheers. Are you a fan of pumpkin beers in general? They're hit and miss. Mm-hmm. Woo! I'm going to tell you, folks, I know you're not here in the studio, but the very first thing you smell from this is not Mm. pumpkin. It is cinnamon. It's not even a medley of baking spices. It's straight cinnamon. A foot from your mouth. I mean, you can smell it. Right. Really potent. Um, But. But it's not strong, though. It's not strong. So it's a, you know, again, it's basically the same color as the Oktoberfest. It's sort of a. An amber. Uh, orangish hue. This beer is 7%, so it's the strongest one that we have been sampling. And no, we're not finishing these in case you're <laughs> wondering. Um, not yet. But this beer, the, the uh, you know, on the can, right, it says, oh, it's brewed with cobweb, skeleton teeth, bat wings, kind of making fun of that that same witch history. But it is made with baking spices predominantly cinnamon and real pumpkin. So good for you, Boss Rambler, for having real pumpkin puree 
Well, and I have to say too, uh, Boss Rambler, their marketing and stuff with their, you know, with their cans and the brightness of their, you know, all the colors they use and stuff and good beers, especially good IPAs. I mean, they definitely are uh, one of my favorites probably. Uh, Yeah, exactly. To me, Boss Rambler is sort of the great notion brewing of Bend. A great notion is the brewery in Portland Mm -hmm. that is famous for doing pastry sauts and huge hazy IPAs. and a lot of adjuncts. They have a, a a new beer that I just saw in the market today, Blueberry Muffin, because they have Blueberry. a beer. They have a year round beer called Blueberry Muffin that literally tastes like liquefied blueberry muffins. Blueberry for so, the season. I ask people this from time to time, mm-hmm. but sometimes there might not be a beer that I would normally try, but it looks the name. The name mm-hmm. gets me, so I'll just try it because of the name. Marketing is yeah. everything in this it helps. era. Well, now, all right. And by the way, I I am enjoying this beer. It is yeah. on the sweet side. It's on the sweet, but it's not. It's not. I mean, the pumpkin's not super strong. Right. That's you know when I was saying hit and miss earlier. If the pumpkin's too strong, I don't think I really care for it. But, exactly. Right. Too much pumpkin could really create a vegetal, off-smelling, off-flavored beer. This is kept in check by the cinnamon and the baking spices. And it, you know, like the malts create the crust. The pumpkin is the pumpkin. The spice this is basically a really good liquefied yeah. pumpkin pie, but not nearly as sweet. I might, I might have this one on Thanksgiving. Excellent. So, <laughs> uh, so far again, just to, to recap, we've had Three Creeks Cone Liquor Fresh Hop IPA. We had McMinniman's Oktoberfest Lager. Then we had Falling Skies Upside Brown Brown Ale. And then this last one, Boss Rambler's Boogie Gourd. But, so Josh, you have this really, really fun series of stories in the source. Tell us about how you started this series that I feel is your 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 calling card. <laughs> so, uh, so, I'm kind of a history buff and... When we were traveling, the family and I would always like to dive into cities we stayed in. And, you know, I taught social studies. I think it's part of, actually, it's probably the educator in me. But when I got to Ben, I just dove in because a publisher I reached out to asked me to write the 100 things to do in Ben. And for somebody who's only been here a few months, I really had to get out there and just start exploring. And so I wrote and wrote and did all these things and then finally uh, published the book Uh, there's two volumes now and then there's a I guess there's a uh, a column back in Memphis magazine that I really respect that I've always loved I've always read growing up and basically people send him in questions He's called uh, Vance Lauderdale, but he'll, they send him questions, just random questions about history, about oddities, about little holes in the wall, just real eclectic stuff. And I said, you know what? I would love to do that. Nobody's doing it in Ben, so let me go ahead and uh, you know pitch it to the source. And they were up for it. And the next thing you know, I've got some, you know, people send in questions, quite a few. Uh, the last one was about the Pilot Butte Airport. Yeah, that was a really fun article. Right. I mean, I didn't know about the airport, so I'm doing research on my own, which is another reason I enjoy it. Uh, did you know we have a Shire in Bend? We've got a couple of Lord of the Rings houses. <laughs> I did not know that. And, I mean, there's plenty more, and I think I've got one coming up next month. But uh, 
I have a secret brewery. Yes, that was the lead up. So Central Oregon, you know, if you if you ever have flown through the Redmond Airport, uh, Deschutes Brewery has this really fun ad that says home of 26 and then they cross it out, 27, cross it out, 28, cross it out, many breweries. And we do have approaching 30 breweries in all of Central Oregon, yeah. high, high 20s, but you brought in a beer from what is really the the secret brewery of Bend. Talk to us about this. So I believe it is. So I live in Deschutes River Woods and just south of Bend. And there is a man named Larry. I gotta give him props. Mm-hmm. And he runs Shade Tree Brewing. And a few years ago when I moved there, somebody told me about it. And, of course, I couldn't find it. I had no idea where it was. It turned out it's probably walking distance to my house. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and so, of course, I called him. And now he brews basically out of a couple of large buildings he does or he has down on his property. So it's not it's not a brewery as in, you know, any customer can walk up or anything like that. You have to call him ahead of time. You have to let him know you're coming, kind of tell him what you want. But when you go down there, I mean, he's got all the brewing equipment. He's got barrels and barrel, or he's got kegs and kegs. And he's got this beautiful, pristine 1966 Mustang that he, because that's, that's his, I think the brewing is a side hustle. Because mm-hmm. what he really likes to do is work on cars. You know, he races his other Mustang, I think, uh, up in Madras, you know, every weekend and such. But he makes some uh, really good brews. I go fill a growler from time to time. Especially this time of year, he makes a couple of uh, heavy, heavier beers. So I'll go pick up a couple of bottles and bring home. And they're sipper beers. I will tell you, so, you know, living here, writing about beer, doing beer events, teaching a beer class, beer festivals, all these things. I've heard of Larry and I've heard of Shade Tree. I've never met Larry. And this will be my very first ever sip of a Shade Tree beer. So thank you for... uh, unlocking it for for (laughs) revealing it because i'm really excited so what josh brought in is a beer called a scottish wench now obviously i i love the history of beer beer styles i could go on and on about geography and political and religious implications for all these beers and really the the realm of scottish ales falls into that you, you have beers that are referred to as Scottish ales that could be, uh, for taxation purposes, the stronger they were, the hev- the more heavily they were taxed. So you'd have a 30 shilling, a 40 shilling. Those would be a really light Scottish ale. And that's mostly what you would find in pubs around Scotland and England. But I was in Scotland a couple years ago for the first time, nice. and I had told myself, oh, I'm going to do nothing but drink Scottish <laughs> ales. Nope. <laughs> I'm going to find mostly IPAs there now because it's, really? it's the, you know, 2020s, even overseas, hmm. I found very little in the way of wow. Scottish ales, huh. very little. Um, and usually, you know, I was also expecting them to be served on cask, right? These from these hand pumps. Again, I found some of that, just not a whole lot. Yeah. But then as, as you go higher up on that, that, alcohol chain and the taxation chain once you got past 80 to 90 shilling that is when the beer would go from a scottish ale to a scotch wee heavy <laughs> uh because it's 
it's a wee heavier. Oh, just a wee. Yeah. So what I like is that Larry's uh, beer, he calls it a Scottish ale, but it's 10%. I mean, this thing, a 10% Scotch ale or a wee heavy, I mean, that's like 120 shillings right there. No <laughs> joke. That really is is what this would have been deemed. Um, Ooh. I mean, right, the first thing I do, I hold this up to my nose. This beer is, it's sort of a a brownish color. Uh, yeah. I don't want to say too dark. I mean, you could see right through it, especially if you hold it up to the light. But uh, it is quite opaque. And unlike other English winter ales that have, you know, sort of a figgy pudding, a, a fruitcake element to them, uh, this beer both between the malts that he's using, I'm guessing, I'm only guessing, I haven't talked to him, but I'm guessing that there's some additional adjunct sugar in here to boost the alcohol. Could be straight sugar, could be a Belgian invert type uh, candy sugar, but you don't often find 10% beers without something that was added to boost it. So it is abundantly fruity. It's really dark fruits, overripe fruits, dried fruits, cranberries, figs, dates. Uh, this is such an interesting beer. And then there's the ever so slight faint whiff of smoke on top of it. Mm-hmm. Did Did you buy this or did you procure this directly from Larry? I did. And did you tell him that we were going to be I did. enjoying it? Excellent. Just yesterday. I... Well, first and foremost, man... If I don't again, I'm not connected to him, but could you please tell him I would love to have him on the sh- on sure, the podcast? Sure. I think that would be super fun. <laughs> uh, it, it, yeah, so Shade Tree beers for some period of time I know were commercially available. Uh, Whitewater uh, Tap House R.I.P. used to have it. Uh, different places around town, you might have been lucky to find a keg of a Shade Tree beer. Right. Uh, but do you think that now that he's brewing this, do we? Do we think there's any draft out there or bottles in the marketplace? You know, not that I'm aware of. He told me yesterday, I was asking him the same question, and he was available at the uh, poorhouse for a little while. I think that was his main main customer. Eastside poorhouse, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, you know. Soon to be the oblivion poorhouse. Right, <laughs> like you mentioned on the podcast. Yeah. and uh, But since then, I don't know if he just brews – he still has quite, it seems like he has quite a bit in stock. So I think he just brews for Coho and maybe himself and, you know. Coho maybe, being the Central Oregon Homebrewers Organization. Exactly. Coho. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully he'll get back. Shout out there. to the homebrew community. Yep. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Josh, both for bringing this beer in because it's I good, really, it? right? It is this. So this is a late fall, early winter beer. Again, 10%. I cannot stress enough. And it, and he bottled it in a wax-dipped 22-ounce uh, bottle. Uh, you, you don't see many of those on shelves anymore. Really a fun and super appropriate beer style. So I'm so glad you brought this in. Uh, that's kind of the bottom line, right? Like, it's yeah. it's fall. Go out there. Try Try some red ales, some ambers, some brown ales. Something besides the IPAs. Exactly. <laughs> and even uh, I'm doing an event on the 28th at On Tap. It's Beers from the Dead 2. And Tanya uh, from Ten Barrel re-brewed. I think it was Tanya. I know she's the one who, who let me know that this is coming out. We're going to have a keg of their brown IPA. 
There was a very, very brief time right around when black IPAs, a.k.a. Cascadian Dark Ales, were coming out when someone tried to coin Texas Brown (laughs) as, you know, a brown IPA. So 10 Barrel, uh, right, right when they opened, they had... Uh, that style. The name of that beer is Oregon Brown. It is a brown IPA. Guaranteed, it's the only one you will find anywhere huh. locally. And so when is this event? Uh, the event is October 28th. Okay. Uh, free to show up. I don't feel like I'm selling anyone tickets because there's nothing to buy. You'd show up other than the beer, of course, a la carte. Lots of great food trucks. Uh Costume contest for grown-ups. Costume contest for kids. Huh. Costume contest for dogs because it's Bend. Yeah. So, and we'll be drinking a lot of really old school styles, my classic microbrew styles, kind of like we're having here today. Ten percent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Guess what? There's a a barley wine from Good Life Brewing. Uh, it was brewed, I want to say, in 2018. So, when Ooh. I talk about beers from the dead, this thing has not seen the light of day for five years, and we are having the only remaining keg in existence oh, wow. so yeah there will be some some pretty strong beers uh there's a sour pumpkin beer uh pumpkin smash from cascade brewing an actual scottish ale from cascade lakes brewing the redmond brewery um boneyard is bringing back boneyard 13 uh vance and curly who is the original brewer from old saint francis they're doing a collab he's now at wild ride but they are brewing a beer, which is an IPA, a strong, an imperial IPA uh, of historical note because he was brewed it before those things really were showing up. Huh. So a lot of really old school beers. Uh, and I'm telling you, this 10%, I, I know he calls it a Scottish. I got to call it a, a Scotch ale. I got to call <laughs> it a wee heavy. Um, this is going to leave us, you and I, feeling good for the rest of the day. Thank you again for coming in and do I have your word? Or are you going to come back in a few months and we'll do a winter tasting? Oh, yeah, man. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> right on. Thank you all for tuning in, for listening. Catch you next week. Cheers. Bear, bear, bear. Tiddly bear, bear, bear. A barrel of mocha, a bushel of pops, you stir it around.